Who rocks mics and rocks them well, yo? It's the biz, baby, it's the biz. 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 All right, welcome back to the biz. Uh, the outside world is still a big piece of shit that we don't know how to clean up. So uh, welcome to the biz, JR of Less Than Jake. How are you? I am ready to be business-like this entire conversation. <laughs> I am going to treat you like I treat most of my business contacts, and that is with short, distinct answers. And I Great. try not to use I, – Yeah, I, I have a new uh, gimmick when I send emails now, and that is how do I respond to this email in the shortest amount of words as possible that gets the point across? because somebody's about to write back five paragraphs. So I want my to be one sentence that gets everything, you know. Do you have an auto reply? <clears throat> no, I don't, I think that's stupid. Um, even when I'm on vacation, I still look at my email, you know. I. Somebody told me, this is a business thing, that yeah. the most uh, effective business people answer their emails twice a day, once in the morning and then once in the evening before right. they leave. So basically, unless there's something really pressing you know, you can just concentrate on the pressing. Sometimes there's something that has to be done, like timely manner. But most times it's just, I'll answer it first thing in the morning, 8 a.m. when I'm having coffee. And then 7 p.m. when I'm, you know, having something that's not coffee. I just learned I'm not an effective business person. Why is that? Because <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> oh. Well, I, don't really do, I don't really do much anything else, you know what I mean, with this whole pandemic thing. I, I just, I have nothing better to do, so. Right. Hmm. Well, so I wanted to ask you, you were in a band called Spring Hill Jack. I was, And yeah. during, you know, this 90s, early 2000s of Spring Hill Jack, ska started kind of blowing up. And... I remember noticing that there was like a name thing with like, you had to put USA on your name versus right. another Spring Hill Jack was. Right. And like, you, I think it was around the time where you guys were on, was it Ignite Records? Ignition. Or, Ignition. <laughs> Ignition Records. It was just yep. subdivision of Tommy Boy, which I believe were right. distributed through there. So yep. was that something that was like, actively like they were like we're gonna take care of this early or is it something that you guys knew about that like i don't know like this is early internet too so right how did that come about so 1997 96 there was a, a an act in the uk and they were spring heel h-e-e-l jack and they were an edm electronica type you know i guess it wasn't edm back then it was just electronic music right <laughs> Um, and we were spring healed with an ED Jack at the time. And so we decided to tag the USA on to distinguish between us being an American act and them being from the UK. So the only reason we did it was to just distinguish because there was some confusion, but this was pre-internet. So it wasn't like, you know. You just didn't want people to be confused, I suppose. Sure, sure. So we, in a grand scheme, we tried to rebrand ourselves, but in reality, we should have just stuck with what it was because I think that they had maybe trademarked the name. Sure. And we didn't. 
Um, and it was so close that, you know, we were just trying to avoid any kind of lawsuits or I, I can't remember the exact reason why we decided to tag the USA on. It might've been a label suggestion. At the yeah. Time. Um, and had you guys like toured in the UK already? We never or toured or internationally. Never. Ja- Springle Jack was domestic. We were domestic terrorists at best. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only international show we did was uh, Canada. And then I think we, Puerto Rico doesn't count because it's not, you know, we yeah. played a couple of shows in Puerto Rico, but never, never an international. Um, we could never have taken that fucking shit show overseas. Oh my God. <laughs> what a mess. I mean, we yes. were a good time. We had a good time. Like everybody in the band, like I loved everybody and we, we had a lot of fun, but man, we would have, nobody would have made it home alive. I, I mean, think. there's a lot of people in the bands that you're in. Yeah. Now, now, you know, it's fucked up because we played a show with Under Oath not that long ago, a couple of years back. And Tim, their guitar player, came up to me and he's like, hey, man, how's it going? I'm like, pretty good. He's like, man, what's your trombone player's name? There's so many of you guys in the band. Tim, there's five guys in my band. There's six (laughs) guys in your band. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's guys in less than Jake. Like, it's four piece plus one. Two horn players might as well be one guitar player you know give me a fucking break. right but, right but i you know, mean at, like at be... one point there was a lot more people on the band right uh we had when i was joined the band and it was the most people was six total but where the confusion lie is where people would come out on stage so you'd have this evo kid and the skeleton guy and then another guy in a fucking wolfman mask and some other guy sure. in an et outfit and <laughs> so it was chaos you know so and then chris used to dress up in costumes too and then there's wigs being thrown around so it was chaos for you know and so no wonder nobody knew how many people were in the band because they were like (laughs) what the fuck is going on you know so we've after i think it was probably like 2003 we started being being more serious you know where it was you know no chris wasn't dressing up in costumes anymore and uh you know it was we became more like a band so we had like stage ideas but it wasn't as random ridiculousness as it had been prior to how it was how, more thought out. how ridiculous was when spring Hills started getting bigger and you did the record on ignition and you're like shooting music videos and stuff like were you guys still just all in a van and yeah. you know how like at that point like i, I think like a lot of times when you see those bands distributed by majors, did you start getting like managers and shit or did you guys still take care of stuff? No, we had a manager and we had a booking agent um, and they were great. Like, you know, for what we needed and what we had going on at that time, they were perfect for what we needed. Um, The problem was ultimately that people in the band at the time didn't want to tour. So for us to like take the time to go and tour and put the time in it was like pulling teeth you know sure um because some people didn't want to tour because they wanted to be at home with their girlfriends at the time you know what i mean and so you're in your 20s and you're trying to fucking move it forward and then you're you know here's what's going on and so we did when we signed we were on moon ska originally you know and that was pretty good because you know it was a good indie label to be a part of right right you know at the time so we put out a record there and then we decided to bump up and this ignition label was interested and 
you know, they had a good distribution deal. We were going to be the only other acts that they had signed at the time was this group from Canada called BTK and a little uh, rapper from a group called House of Pain named Everlast. Those were the signings that they had. Oh, and Anthrax. They signed Anthrax. Nice. Nice. And so we were like, we fucking love Anthrax at House of Pain. We're going to sign with this label. Tommy Boy, Tommy Matola is cruising around. We're like, oh, this is great. You know? Yeah. Um, And, you know, they were good, you know, from every relationship that you start in a contract is always good. Everybody's happy. They're telling you that they love something. This is great, whatever. And then the A&R guy gets involved. And he's telling you that maybe we should make this thing. Maybe we, this guy should sing this song and not that song. And so like, how know, did those conversations like pan out? Like, you know, like what, I, what was one of those? Um, so there's a song on songs from suburbia called 1959. And I don't want to um, out anybody right in my band, former band, sure. but who the person that was supposed to sing it originally on the demos the A&R guy said, Mike should sing it, not this other person. Sure. And the other person was not happy by that at all and fucking had a bit of a moment about it. And, you know, I think it's hard when you're in your, in the developing stages of a band and you're in your 20s, you're, you wear your ego like right here, you know, and it's, it covers everything. And it's hard for you to take that off, check it and go, this is what's best for the record. This is what's best for the band because you're so caught up in what's good for you or what, you know, how am I going to tell my parents, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my, you know, grandparents that, oh, I I wrote this song, but, you know, the other guy's singing it. Sure. And so it was because they thought that the song was strong enough to be maybe a single and they liked Mike's voice better. And he, you know, you know long you know fucking love it or hate it love the band or not mike was the voice of the band he's the reason that we got signed you know yeah um you know and then it just turned into him singing it and there was you know eventually it just gave way and it's like fine fuck it whatever you know and that's usually how it ended up happening but you know what are you gonna do you're trying to make when you create a record when bands create a record, I read an interesting thing the other day. Some band on Twitter was like, you know, I really wish that normal people know what it's like to make a record. Bands don't care if the record's good or bad. That's bullshit. That's that fucking is bullshit. bullshit. That's bullshit. It's a cop out and it's a lie. If you don't care if your record is good and you don't care that it's the best that it could be, then why are you in a fucking band? Why are you wasting your time? You know, that's absolutely. There's only certain things you can really control in being in a band. You know, you can't control who's going to like your music. You can't control who's going to buy your merchandise. You can't control who's coming to the show, right? You can control the music you create, the merchandise you create, the image that you put forward and how you want to market yourself, how you want to be seen. You can control those things. Mostly, you know, the internet sometimes gets wild or whatever. But, you know, you in a in a in a grand scheme, these are the things that you can control. What your message is, how you want to get that message across. And I think that when again you're in your twenties, when I was in my twenties, all I cared about is where are we getting the drugs and when is the beer showing up? Can sure. I get more beer? Can I get more beer on the rider? You know, right. like and like oh, we have these songs. We should practice these songs. Maybe maybe we'll write something. You know, and it always it was like pulling teeth to create new music with Spring Hill Jack too. You know, yeah. because of 
whatever reasons, you know, I, I can't, I'm so removed from that time period of my life that it's hard to really look back and try to pinpoint moments and times where things could have, you know, changed or gone better or whatever. It's just, I will say that creatively speaking, those seven, six other guys plus myself were the most creative group of humans I've ever written music with, you know? And like, I love creating with Less Than Jake. Those four guys, four other guys are awesome musicians to, to make music with. But Spring Hill Jack was really interesting because everybody was such a different dynamic, you know, yeah. of a human, not even just as a human, but like what they listened to, their, the music that they, that they loved, you know? Like, I didn't know who my bloody Valentine was until I joined Spring Hill Jack. I didn't sure. know who space. I didn't know who Spacemen Three were. I wasn't really familiar with Slayer. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. but these are all things that everybody else listened to. And when you're driving in the van and there's a CD player and somebody's driving and they're in control of the CD player and they put things in, you start to it starts to grow on you. You know, sure. and you're exposed Absolutely. to more music. And you know, I, in a in hindsight, I know how talented everybody was. You know, and um, I just wish that we had had the foresight to be able to realize that it's not that big of a deal. That if we had just concentrated on the things that we could control and then not paid attention to what the amazing crowns were doing. Right. Or Skavuvi and the Epitones, like, you know, there were certain members of the band that were just like, Ooh, how come real crowns are getting all this stuff and we're not? I'm like, why are you worried about what they're doing? Like, yeah. Who cares? It doesn't affect it, you. It doesn't affect it's me. It's so easy to get caught up in that as a band too, you know. Stupid. It is stupid. It, I mean, it doesn't really achieve anything. I, I, well, I'll often, you know, because I found myself doing that a bunch many times in Rebuilder. But I then kind of just flip it and I'll see bands that are like doing well and getting cool stuff and just kind of been like, what are my takeaways from that? Are they doing something that's actually pretty cool that maybe I can try to do similar or does it give me an idea to do something else, you know? And yeah. I'm sure that there's people that look at rebuilder and see some things that we're doing. And I, I remember like we, when we first started playing, we got on a lot of Bowery shows sure. and we started getting shit from like other bands or like our friends and stuff like that. And they were just like, yeah, those dudes always get those fucking shows. Like fuck them. And I remember like someone in a band had said that to me and I was like, well, did you guys ask to play it? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, did you ask? And they're like, no, like we don't know who to ask. Like we didn't ask. And I was like, well, I looked who to ask and yeah. I've worked at all these venues forever. I know yeah. everyone there. So I just, I ask. And then I also like, if I don't even know the band, I'll just email the agent and be like, I don't know if you're looking for an opener, but here we are. And sometimes it just like, if they are looking for an opener and they haven't got one yet and they're like, Oh, hey, we can just cross this off. Sure. Give it to this band. They look like they're active. Like I was like, you, sometimes you just need to ask dude. And they were like, Oh, we, we just never thought to ask. And it's like, well, don't, don't be pissed at me because you didn't ask, you know, it's like the tech, the road crew guy that when the guitar head goes down, he starts fucking twisting the cables and fucking, you know, moving the amp and checking the speakers. Is it, is the power on? Check the, <laughs> is it plugged in? Like, that's where you start. That's where you're yeah. supposed to start. So what you're telling me is that people talk shit on you because you had common sense and they didn't. 
So, you know, who are you mad at? That's whenever somebody says somebody, whenever somebody says something negative towards somebody else, I always, musically speaking, I don't not I'm not talking politics or anything else, right? When somebody says something to somebody negative, musically speaking, I'm like, why are you wasting your time? You know, because all you're doing is you're still promoting this other band. Yep. You know, if I don't like a band or a mu- or music, the last thing I'm going to do is fucking tweet about it, about how shitty it is, just because it's just <laughs> giving it fucking credence. It's like, oh, here you go. This is, this is, sh-. it's like when somebody goes, oh, this tastes like shit here, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> you probably will get like five out of 10 people to taste the thing that tastes like shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because you said, oh, this is shitty, you know? So I don't. In a, you know, some, but that's what some, my whole but that's what my whole in, Instagram page is. That's what the whole biz is. Yeah. Well, it's just uh, because the, <laughs> the, the biz makes me laugh because you know it's like I get the questions where they're like, "How do you?" Um, my favorite questions are like, "Well, how do you get to be so big?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, you eat a lot, work out, maybe <laughs> drink milk." You know, like. Oh, you mean the band? How did the band? Well, quit your job, sleep on floors, be broke for three or four years. And play and a don't saxophone. Stop and, and play, I guess, play saxophone. <laughs> I mean, you know, tell your parents that their, I, their dreams for you are dead and this is your dream and you have to work. Like, it's a, a daily thing. Like, I wake up at seven o'clock every morning. Why? I, I haven't worked, like, work, been on tour in since 2019 to be honest with you we did a couple of shows in the beginning of the year but no real touring since last this time last year was the last tour that we were on we were in the uk and uh yo man it's fucking shitty it's a fucking real it's so shitty it's a real shitty time but you know on a a real life sort of level it was kind of rad to be put into a scenario where you have to survive like so how do we survive like what are we going to do when our basically our legs are cut off and they're like don't walk run right you know you cut your legs off and people are telling you to run so how do i um counteract this like what do we do and then the best thing about the dudes in my band is everybody will come up with 20 ideas and probably 10 of them each are great. And then it's just kind of honing it down to figure out which ones are. Cause I certainly, you know, those other four gentlemen and less than Jake are smart, you know, smarter than yeah. the average bears. And so we try to make sure that we put a lot of thought and time and effort into everything that we do. Like nothing comes out half-assed or at yeah. least it, sometimes it may look half-assed, but if that, if that's by design, you know what sure. I mean? Like sure. everything that we do, we're very methodical and try to be, you know, and that's, by design like i said so jumping in from you know from being in spring hill jack and then joining less than jake by that point less than jake being an established band that probably had a booking agent and management and stuff in place was it easier to jump into that because there was like you're, you're not responsible for driving the van at night, you know? Absolutely. I mean, how could you, you go from being in my position in less than, or in uh, Spring Hill Jack was part 
path manager, like part partial manager, partial road manager, saxophone player, songwriter, singer, you know, business contact, whatever. And then when I joined Less Than Jake, I was just a sax player. I didn't have to sing. I didn't have to fucking do any business. They were on a bus. I fucking go to sleep. I thought I was in heaven for a year, you know? Right. And then I woke up out of a haze at some point and I was like, I have to do something else because this is really boring. Like just playing saxophone in this band and like getting a paycheck was cool. And I was getting a paycheck by the way. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like Spring Hill Jack. We were lucky if we had enough money to cover rent for each person at the end of the thing, you know, just totally. seven just a bunch of guys, you know, but Jake, they paid me pretty well, you know, at least for more than I was getting when I was off tour. And, you know and when you, I mean? when you joined that, was there like at, at that point with less than Jake, was it like, this is what we'll pay you for like a salary or was it like show? Yeah, I was on salary. Whatever? I was on salary and they said, we're going to pay you this much every week on tour. When we're on tour, we're going to give you health insurance, which was huge, you know? Um, and it just was like, well, how am I going to, and I told them when I joined the band, I'm like, you guys are going to have to kick me out to get me out of here. At this point. <laughs> so really, you know what I mean? Like, I was yeah, like, this is yeah. what I want to do. Like, this is what right. I've always wanted to do. You know, and like I said, but I wasn't, when I joined the band, I just played saxophone. I didn't sing. I didn't, I wasn't writing songs. Um, you know, I didn't assert myself. I wanted, because I was in a group of strangers at that point. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. it wasn't like, if I had joined the Boston's instead of, and there was a pot, there was a chance at one point before I joined less than Jake that I could have joined the Boston's. It just didn't work at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, You're there think, enoughs now. Well, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I would have, you know, at least I knew, you know, Joe and I knew Dickie and I knew Nate. Well, Nate wasn't in the band at the time, but I knew, you know, I knew Joe and Dick pretty okay at that point. So I wouldn't have been a complete stranger to the thing. But like these guys, you know, I flew into Gainesville. I met right. them once, like once in passing, kind of. There was never like yeah. a sat and had a long conversation with any of these guys. And I think that actually kind of worked to my advantage because I wasn't a fan of them. Right. And the the other guy that came down to try out was a, like a super fan. And so but he was a super fan that didn't know how to play any of the songs. <laughs> he was a shitty go try super out? fan. <laughs> how are you going to go? How are you going to say you love all the songs and then you go and try out for the fucking band and you don't know any songs. And like, I'll never forget when I went down to try out, I flew in, I was living in Boston and I worked, there was a restaurant on Kenmore square called uh, the deli house. And I was working cooking there and I worked a night shift. And so I didn't get back to my apartment until 5. AM took a shower got on a fucking in a cab went to logan got on a plane no sleep by the way hit the plane flew into gainesville i don't remember anything about the flight into gainesville except when i landed in atlanta from boston and then i got to go to the connector flight it was a twin prop plane and i was so <laughs> like i was like oh dude that was the moment like that was it like that was the, the defining moment of am i gonna go and do this like how yeah. much is this worth you know, is this worth it? Do I really? Because to be honest with you, Sal, when I quit Spring Hill Jack and before I joined Less Than Jake, I was student teaching in Boston or in well in uh, Newton at Newton South, actually. And the music director there liked me so much. He's like, look, we don't have a job for you, but I'm going to create a job for you next year. Like, we want to keep you here. The kids love you. Like, and I, to be honest with you, man, <clears throat> teaching 
I got off on teaching like you, like I get off playing on stage. It's the yeah, same. It's really kind rewarding. Of, yeah, it's the same kind of reward. It's genuinely, I love it, you know. Um, but then during that time, I got a call from Vinny, our old drummer at the time. And, you know, he was like, hey, we want you to come try out. And I was like, I have to be perfectly honest. I, I don't have any of your music. I'm not really familiar. I'm like, if, so he sent me the CDs, whatever. And it's just, I have the notes somewhere. It's just like, Pete, learn some tunes, Vinny. That was it. There was no like set list. It was just like, yeah. learn these songs. There's four records worth of material with like- did you, songs How much did record. you learn? I learned it all. I learned everything. <laughs> it was just before Borders and Boundaries came out, right? So Borders, yeah. they had just finished mixing and mastering Borders and Boundaries. So it was like Pezcore, Losers, Kings and Things, Losing Streak and Hello Rockview. Those were the four records that I got. Um, so I learned it all or you know what I could hear because the mixes it's always hard when you're learning like horn parts and especially like their particular horn parts for those records because it was two trombones and a Barry sax so like talk about just fucking bottom <laughs> baseline trying to figure like pull stuff out of the you know you could do it I could do so I would just learn what I could and then so I flew down into Gainesville I'm exhausted I probably still smelled like the fucking burgers the that deli. I flipped the night before <laughs> you know yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe they're just going to let me go chill at the hotel for a couple hours. Maybe we're rehearsing. Not less than Jake. Less than Jake rehearses at 11 o'clock in the morning, right? That is, what band do you know that rehearses at 11 o'clock in the morning when you're None. in your 20s? None. None. <laughs> that moment right there is when I realized that these guys are serious about what they do. Right. Because they get up in the morning and they fucking work. They would get up in the morning and they'd work it like a work day. Like you get up and go to like when people get up and put their fucking tchotchkes on to go to work. That's what these guys did. And plus they like to hang out with their ladies in the evening, you know? Yeah. So, or like go out and go to shows or whatever. So they're like, we're going to practice now. So I landed at 10 AM and they're like, yeah, we figured we'd just drive you over to buddies and you can jump right <laughs> into it. I'm like, oh, all right. And I went. Can I get a coffee on the way, please? Yeah, I was like, you know, I was like, oh man, I hope there's a coffee there. So I get there and like, dude, I'm not saying much. I'm not really talkative. I'm just like, hey, how you doing? Cool, nice to meet you. Hi, buddy. Okay, buddy, nice to meet you. And the other guy, Pete, trauma player. Yeah. Pete, buddy, Vinny, Chris. They're all standing there. Set my horn up. And they're like, so is there anything you want to start with? And I was like, well, why don't we just start with Hello Rockview? I'm like, that's the one I kind of know the best. Um, and we put on last one out of Liberty city, you know, and it's kind of a burner goes pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. And I knew the song, so I played it and I just kind of, I don't really pay attention to other people. I'm just playing along, trying to listen to what the other two dudes are doing. And I'm like, all right, that's weird. And this is weird. And so I'll never forget it. Chris and Vinny listen to the one song and then they go, all right, see you guys later. And I'm like, what, what? <laughs> What? okay well and you know then i we started playing the other songs we went through stuff and then you know i remember when Vinny called me he's like look i called him at some point i'm like i don't know if i'm going to do what you want me to do he's like look man you're either coming down here for three days or two weeks he goes so pack your bag either for three days or two weeks i packed my bag for two weeks i knew i was staying in there you know what i yeah. mean there was nobody was getting a gig for me right but in, in later on years later chris or Vinny or Buddy or one of them or all of them had said to me, I knew as soon as you played the first fucking note, 
<laughs> that you were the guy. You know, they were like, there yeah. was I, like, Buddy was like, I don't even know why we had the other guy come down. Like, it was just a waste of time. And I was like, well, it's cool. I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did. But, you know, it's that was 20 years ago. And 20 years That's later, awesome. here I am still in less than Jake. And At other the same shit happened. job. Yeah, <laughs> funny, funny thing is when I, I signed up for unemployment at some point, you know, like everybody else in April. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm taught, I finally get through to the unemployment office and I go to the guy. I'm like, thanks for all your help. I said, you know, this is the first time, you know, I'm 44 years old, the first time in my life that I have ever applied for unemployment. He goes, well, it's a pretty good run, wouldn't you say? And I was like, it's <laughs> another yep. fucking guy. Yeah, listen to this guy. Jesus so and then but you know after when you joined when i joined jake it was different because they're southern band and i was certainly northeast you know like all my connections all my people my space was here you know right and they were all enamored at the fact that chris rhodes was in the boston's because the boston's were such a huge band up until like 2004 chris always would go up to joe gittleman and go Joe, hi, Chris makes less than Jake. And one Joe come up to me one day because can you please tell Chris <laughs> to stop fucking introducing himself? I know who he is. <laughs> and it's just it's so funny because like, you know, as a band, like we're our reverence towards those dudes yeah. is, you know, I mean, they're a huge influence. Like, no matter yeah. I don't care who you are, if you play ska and punk and you grew up in the nineties or early two thousands and you don't know about the Boston's, you never listened to scott right, punk like right. that that's just who they were you know and i'm so, gonna start doing that to joe now yeah jo hi sal <laughs> hi sal Vergano. good to see you can you believe it but that's how demakes is like that's how chris is he's so he had such a you know respect for them that he's just like i would never want to offend you know what i'm saying like it's, i would never want to offend them or whatever and i'm like i want to offend those guys all the time you know like <laughs> i don't obviously i but, remember yeah. i remember you telling me that once that like the boston's was like such a huge band for the less than j guys and i remember thinking that i was like oh that's pretty that's fucking cool because like for as long as less than jake has been around you know, and like, I mean, I remember in high school listening to Lesson Jake a lot. I remember listening to the Boston's a lot. And I guess I never thought that Lesson Jake was a band that would look to the Boston's and be like, that's the fucking band. You know? True story. The guy that I replaced in the band, Darren, asked his first wife to marry him on the stage at a Boston show at the Cup really? Fish in Gainesville. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a picture somewhere of Demake's stage diving during hope i never lose my wallet you know like i, I somewhere it's somewhere you know like I mean, you see in the wall the you know the that was the old school when they were in plaid and stuff yeah yeah here comes chris tumbling oh he goes first time i ever staged over in my life was at a boston show <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's just like for me they always were like you know the boston's were obviously they're always a really important band to me and then later on in life they became you know it's like my second family you know right and it's that's the that's the weird shit because like the first rock star i ever met was dickie barrett right and he was so cool to me and my my brother my little brother at the time like i was 20 something and he was like 17 and we played yeah. with them at the, at the globe spring hill jack played with him at the globe in norwalk connecticut just shut down now for years but 
they had us come play a uh, hell of a hat, me, Chris, and Tyler, horn section at the time, come play with them. And then after the show, Dickie comes up to us all at the merch booth and he's like, I love you guys, Chris, Pete, Tyler, you guys are the best. You should, I, if I can have it my way, the, you three would be in the Boston's all the time, you know, like just doing what Dick does, man. He's always yeah. such a, such a hype guy, good, like good positive energy, unless you get to know him. And then he, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just such a good human. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like I was driving home with my brother and he was really quiet in the front seat. Normally he's talkative. I go, what's your deal? And he goes, I got to tell you, man, that was pretty fucking cool. I go, what? <laughs> I go with the show. And he goes, no, Dickie Barrett knows who you are. And I was like, huh. You know, and I never really thought right. about it other than, you know, like this is somebody that I really respect and, you know, whatever. And then, like I said, like hindsight's always fucking crazy. 20 years, you know, 25 years later, you know, he really is one of my, my fucking closest friends that I, you yeah. know, he reached, you know, getting tech. <laughs> like I said, I, at some point when we were working on the, the last, I actually got to record on the last Boston's record that they're yeah. doing now, you know, and I was sitting in New Haven. We, there's a studio there. And my, before I was in Spring Hill Jack, I was in a band called JC Super Scott. And the members of that band actually are Mike Woods, who was the guitar player and songwriter for Boston's Damone. It's a pretty big band. And yeah. then uh, this gentleman, Ken Cook, he was a, the singer songwriter for the band, The Damn Personals. And then the other gentleman who was in the band with him, Anthony Rosamundo, was also in the Damn Personals, but he has recently gone on to fame. Is He's the writer of that song, Shallow, that was by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper for the Star is Born that won right. every every fucking award in 2018, basically. So and you were was, all in the Scott band. And we were all in the Scott band, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, the trombone player from that band, Greg, he works at this amazing studio in New Haven, Connecticut called uh, The Firehouse. And I hooked up Boston's to finish some stuff so me and Rhodes could go and play some stuff. And Joe Gittleman was there. And at some point, Chris is out recording and Joe goes out to talk to him. At some, and I, looked, I, go to, I look up at Greg and I go, hey, man. Did you ever think when we were practicing at Lilienthal's house when we were 16 that you and I'd be working on the Boston's record in 2020? And he's like, it's unfucking real, man. You know, and it's like, it's so funny now. We're all in our, you know, we're in our mid-40s or whatever, but there's still that reverence towards what who they are and what they've yeah. done, you know. And like, yeah, hey man, I always tip my cap to those guys. They're when uh good when Rhodes joined the Boston's, were you guys like, this is fucking sick? Dude, I thought it was, I was like my best like. I am the guy, when we were kids, we always used to go out to like the diner after a show. And we always said, one of us, you know, it's, we are, we are us. And so yeah. you are one of us. And so our, in our small little circle of friends that were a dozen people, I look and see what people have done in their professional lives. And I'm kind of blown away by it sometimes, you know, because right. small circle of friends from a little shitty town in Connecticut shouldn't have so much success there shouldn't be an oscar amongst us but there <laughs> right, is right you know right. what i mean <laughs> and so when Rhodes, like when Rhodes joined the boston's it was like 
yo, he's going to be on fucking Letterman. He's doing all this <laughs> shit. Like it's one of us, you know? And it's like yeah. when Anthony, when Anthony won the, the, the Oscar, it was like, that's one of us. It's me. It's like, that's my friend that I grew yeah. up with that we sit you know, and it's, it's different than like, I've, of course I've had friends with through music that have won Grammys and shit like that, but it was never one of us, you know, right. that was at that table. And we used to talk like if one of us makes it, we're all going to fucking make it. Right. And it really kind of, kind of, you know, held to be somewhat, you know, the connections that each one of us make, everybody talks to other people and it's, you know, it's funny how small the biz actually is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So So like, you know, as you start integrating yourself more and more in less than Jake and you start writing and obviously, you know, throughout the years that you've been in, in that band, I'm sure you guys have gone through like different agents and management and all that bullshit. Oh yeah. You know, it seems like less than Jake is more at a place now where you're running your careers more than having all these fucking other people in place. Does it feel like you come back to kind of like DIY, but you're still, you're a big band now. Um, You know, like, yeah, I it mean, just seems like you're, you're more you guys are more hands on in everything that you do. We've always, like I said, been as hands on as possible, because at the end of I hate saying this phrase because it's so cliche. But at the end of the day, the only people that matter are the fucking four other guys that I'm staring into the eyes of all the time on the bus. We are the ones that hold the power ring total, you know, on purpose, just said that there. <laughs> but we are we are the ones that we are the ones that control our our own destiny and what we do and how we want to be and like i can never be mad at somebody that we hire to work for us if they don't understand the culture that surrounds our band you know so the best way to keep it going is to be hyper aware of what's going on you know and then you also have to if you're going to hire somebody, it, it, actually, with it, when it came to management, it was more just basic dollars and cents than it was anything else. It's like, sure, why am I going to pay somebody, you know, 15% of the, the net or 25% of the net or 15% of the gross or whatever percentage for a Rolodex that I already have? If I'm, right. doing, ha- if I'm doing more, of the ha- more than half of the work and it's coming from people that I know, then why am I paying you anything? I shouldn't, I should just yeah. do it myself. You know, like, is, is there a time that you can remember where there was a point in lesson J where like someone was showing up to try to fucking pull the wool over your eyes and be yeah, like, when we, I when can we fucking to, do this for you. Yeah. When we signed to uh, Warner brothers the first time, well, the only time we signed to Warner brothers. And just before we put out Anthem, they said, look, we want you to have uh, quote unquote real management. And so our A&R guy at the time had a half brother that worked in a management firm in Los Angeles. I don't even want to name it because basically they took about a half a million dollars from us, $200,000 and didn't do shit. They didn't get us on radio. They didn't get us on MTV. They didn't get us all the things that they sat and promised and fucking said they were going to do. Of course they didn't do it. And it was a quick six month relationship and we were just like you're fired goodbye you know like right and that was it and you know then we ended up hiring a management team that we were with up until about 2012 maybe 14 
somewhere in there, we had our manager, Bridget Wright, and I can say her name because she was excellent. She was an excellent manager. She still is. She gets it. She's artist friendly. She under, she fights for her artists. She doesn't, you know, she's smart to the business and the loopholes that are within it. Um, so she was wonderful. And the only reason that it didn't work with her was just dollars and cents, you know, yeah. like she was too expensive. And once kids came to the band, people's personal finances became far more important and we needed to stop paying other people. We needed to start paying ourselves, you know? So a lot of, so we did it for a while and, you know, I think we tried to have a manager at some point or we talked about it at some point, but again, it's like, why am I going to pay somebody? I could just pay somebody a salary of like $500 a week to answer emails and do what I tell them to do. So I don't have to do it or I can just do it myself. You right. know? But the days of me paying a percentage, a flat percentage fee that is going the way of the CD. Do you know what I mean? Like it's an yeah. archaic sort of thing. And you know, you see a lot of these new age deals now where management companies are not just management companies anymore. They're also like media companies, you know? Right. So they do everything and then they try to sign bands. Like you have media companies that are starting labels now so they can take do the profit share with a profit right. split, you know? Right. That's kind of the way of the, the world these days. The gone are the multi-record deals. Sure. You know? Yeah. Thank God, to be honest <laughs> with you. Thank God. When you guys were on Warner and I know that this, you know, it was a weird thing to happen with bands, ska bands at the time. I don't really get it. So maybe you can shine light, but like, okay. why was it that like all these bands during that time, the major labels was like, we want to like minimum, minimum, minimalize the horns. Cause it wasn't radio friendly. Was it That's, just like, I mean, that was it. It was of the time. And that would, they were like, uh, when you went to the radio department, the radio guys would say horns are not tracking in 2003. They're not trending. Because we had already gone through the ska explosion of the mid nineties. And we forget about the swing explosion for the <laughs> six months that the cherry Papa daddies and the squirrel nut zippers were there. So it had just been horned out at that point. Like we had moved on all the ska bands became emo bands. And in 2002, 2003 bands like taking back Sunday were really getting, you know, getting popped up. Uh, was that, uh, shit from first to last, right? Right. It was a band that was kind of starting up at that point. And like, so you saw oh, this that new... Skrillex, that was Skrillex fans. Yeah. That's, that was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fucking Sonny's band, you know? And yeah. like, like I said, it's like, you'd see this progression of what was happening, you know, and like what was becoming popular and famous and stuff like that. And, you know, what was, uh, it certainly wasn't ska. So trying to get a ska band on the radio in 2002, I mean, shit, even Aaron Barrett had the swoop haircut go find the pictures. You can see it, you know, <laughs> they were just trying to fit in. Like they never stopped being a ska band or whatever, but you know, stylistically wise, everybody became Hawthorne Heights because that yeah. was what was, you know, fallout boy, all that shit was starting to trend towards that. So radio didn't want horns because it was, it sounded dated, even though dated was three years earlier, you know, right. everybody's always trying to think that they're the progressives that are moving forward musically, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was fights about it, you know, there was mixes made that, uh, had horns, didn't have horns, parts were taken out, parts were muted. 
I remember one conference call we had about it and we're on the call and we're talking about this horn part. And when you would talk on the conference call, it would say, you'd hear a ding and it would say, you know, you would have to, you know, announce yourself. So it'd be right, like, right. JR, you'd be your voice, JR, and then it'd be a woman's voice has entered the conversation. And then when people <laughs> would leave, it would say, your name, you know, JR has left the conversation. Right. And so we're talking about this song. I can't even remember. It was probably like Ghost of You and Me or something. And the idea was we were supposed to take out the intro horn part. And Buddy was like, this is bullshit. Why are we fucking doing this? It's This is the song, whatever. And then somebody said something about radio. And then all of a sudden you just hear, Buddy has left the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody just fucking died, man. It was like the best thing he could have ever done. Like, <laughs> it was so good. And, you know, it's just like I said, when, but when you're assigned to a major label, any label, you have to remember that they are the ones paying for it. So they ultimately have the say of what they do or don't do with it. So you sort of are playing the game, you know? Right. So we, we tried to play the game as best we could. And, um, you know, Anthem ended up being, I think, one of our best records yeah. in our career, you know? And uh, to be a part of that was very cool. You know, it was it was a good time in the band's history for sure. Um, a lot of people call this sellouts, and you know that's to be, that's to happen every time. And I always my response is when they say you guys are se- you guys sold out, and I go which time? I've been selling right. out for almost thirty years, I guess. You know, it, like, it is it is interesting though because like you know my lesson Jake record was like Hello Rock View, right? And like. I remember getting Borders and Boundaries. I remember getting Anthem and I like them. But for me, I was always like, hella rock me. That's that's the record. But it's but, also if that's the record that you get into. It's every everybody right. has the record that introduces them to a group, you know, that when you when it hits you, that's your record. And right. it's fucked up because people are going to listen to our new record, the Silver Linings record. Yeah. People that are in their early 20s that maybe listen to it. And they're like, man, I really... I'm going to feel this because this is my first real introduction. Exactly. To the band, exactly. You know? Yeah. The younger dudes that, uh, that are in rebuilder, are like they were like, no Anthem was my record. Cause that's when, you know, when I was the age, I heard hella rock beat. They were the age that they heard Anthem and they were like, Anthem was my favorite record. So it's like, it, you know, if, if you're doing that, you're doing something right. Cause you're getting, you know, you're introducing people just like now, you know, you release a new record. If this is the first time some kid hears less than Jake and he's like, I fucking love this record. And that's awesome. That rules. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the, the beauty of it too. You know, it's just like, we're, we continue to try to, again, going back to what I say, when we're put out a record, we want it to be the best it can be. And so we will fight amongst each other. The fights between the five of us, they're uncomfortable, you know, but at the end, the end result, when the record is done, I know I can listen to the record and I'm going to go, fuck yeah. What's the so, best line out of out of one of those recent fights on this last record? Um, what do you mean? Like when so, what somebody said to somebody? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was in the middle of singing a lyric um, that I was supposed to sing a background to. And it was a point of contention to everybody. And I said, I don't think I can sing that word. And... What, why can't you sing that word? I'm like, because it's stupid and it doesn't work. Why'd you say it was stupid? Because it's not good. I mean, I, I just want to make sure that there's no gray area 
So you can think that I kind of like it a little bit. Maybe we can keep it in here. I'm like, I don't think it's good. And so it's those brutally honest moments. You need those. And you need to be able to, the problem is, is a lot of times people aren't able to accept those brutally honest moments. And that's when it turns into a fight, but you're not fighting about the thing. You know what I mean? You're, you're, yeah, fight, you you're didn't say fight. they were stupid. You were yeah, like, we're this line in this not, song is stupid. Right. There's a, there's a phrase that we use. We serve the song, right? And you want the song to be the best. Our, the first single, perfect example, this lie, lie to me that we just released, right? That's Roger wrote that song. That's lyrics, everything. He wrote every part of it. And when I got the demo, the only note that I had for him, I was like, why don't you start the chorus? with lie to me lie to me just one more time because it start the chorus starts with say you need me one more time and then halfway through the chorus it says lie to me one more time and i'm mm-hmm. like i live by the clive davis theory of writing pop songs if i in his quote is if i was writing a song it would go chorus 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 <laughs> you know what i mean and it's so stupid but it's true it's you know true I mean? it is like, true yeah yeah you tell clive davis he's wrong you know right right and you know, I, and I said to him, like, why don't you just do this? He's like, because that's just the way it is, dude. And I was like, all right. You know, and it's like, how far <laughs> am I going to fight? How much do I want to fight? And I pick and choose battles, you know, as you yeah. get as you get older, you learn to realize that you should fight for the things that are truly that make you cringe. Like when something is just like, oh, you know, yeah. I'm sure you've listened to songs or you're recording and you hear something and it just makes you cringe. And you're just like, that can't. I mean, I do that to my stuff all the time where, I, you know, I, I always jay moss who records our stuff like i'll send him things and i'm like all right can you listen to this and tell me is this really stupid or is it not and he'll literally respond back and just be like yeah i listened to the two things you sent me and like there's almost literally no difference so it doesn't fucking matter and i'm like okay good that's good to know because i'm just overthinking it you know yeah and that's the thing too like when you're when you're creating it's really important that you trust the other people that you're creating with, you know? And so if those gentlemen say to me, it's good or it's bad, I have to trust that they have the best interest of the song. Even if it's my song, I have to trust that they have the best interest for the song in mind when they suggest things. And that I have, again, you have to believe what the people that you're working with, eventually you have to go, all right, I believe everything you guys are saying, you know, it's not like listening to Donald Trump where he lies 20,000 times a minute, but you know, you're, I know that those guys aren't telling me something just to get me out of the booth. You know, they're, they're telling me something because that's what it is, you know, and it's hard too, when you're recording and you're singing or playing or whatever. And so you don't really, you can hear yourself, but you can't really hear yourself you know right so well uh, i think it's awesome that you guys released the record during the pandemic yeah we're just working on it we're getting i'm there. glad to see lesson jake being active during this time because i don't know what else you're supposed to do and especially i saw that you guys just put on sale some merch for your road crew which yeah. is really nice um because mo's really lazy anyway so like he wasn't working ever <laughs> we don't actually all we do though is we don't give those guys any money we just give them a bunch of clothes we go you got i know you need clothes so here you go here hey you go, here's guys. a bunch of t-shirts here's your, this is money i mean this costs money you don't want this money no you can't just sell this no all right well i mean we did we did something like this earlier in the pandemic like in like april because like you know, the, our 
unfortunately our road crew are not uh, W2 employees or 1099 employees. So it's hard right. if you're a 1099 employee to get unemployment. You know, I think they're mm-hmm. getting some, but like, you know, a little boost here and there is always a good thing. And our fans have been so supportive, you know, and uh, we just try to release things that are, that look good or we think look good and maybe they'd want to buy support yeah. a little bit. And it's like, it's hard too, because you don't want to ask so much of your fans, you know, you don't want to ask too much of them. So if there's a fine line that's happening right now, you know, because we still want to be entertaining to our fans and people, and we want to lift their spirits during this horrible time. But, you know, we just haven't had like a very good year to be able to do that, you know? Yeah. But, so, but I've noticed that there, there's a, you know, there's a lot of people who are, they're grownups and they work from home and they, you know, yeah. they're still getting paid and they're honestly, they're like, man, if I'm not going to the show, I'll buy my 17th less than Jake t-shirt. Sure. Fucking throw it in, you know? And they, yeah. they, they actually really enjoy doing that and it gives them something to do. So, you yeah. know, and- I, I, they'll, they'll, your, I think your audience will definitely let you know what, they want and what they don't want <laughs> oh they and they do you know like and i certainly um i listen to it i read you know things i follow the fucking data trends of marketing and all that other crap that goes along with the biz nowadays you know what i mean it used yeah. to never you know but you have to follow all this stuff you have to see what people what their wants are what they want yeah. you know if i do a, if i sell like a, a hat on our web store I want to be able to look back and go, well, how many of that hat did we sell? And how did it do in comparison to the other hats that we sold? And I know that's so stupid, but you also just want to give people what they you gotta want. Know. You got to yeah, know. You got to know what they want, you know? And What's it's the like, shittiest item that sells? When we did masks, because we were one of the first bands that had masks available because yeah. our merch company was actually producing the masks. They were creating them. And it was also, we were a little sketchy about how are we going to do this? Because we didn't want to seem like money yeah, grubbers. Are you cashing a, in just on yeah, the trend? And it was yeah, right yeah. after, and it was right after the, you know, the, the president said you should wear masks or Fau- Dr. Fauci said you should wear masks. And my merch manager had emailed me, like text me over the mock-up of the, he's like, we can do this, you know. I was like, well, how much can we charge for these? You know, and he's like, I see them online, same ones for like 12 bucks or whatever. I'm like, well, we got to do something, you know? And so his idea was like, look, we'll do buy one, donate one. So for every mask that we bought, we were able to donate one. Actually, we ended up being able to donate like 10,000 masks, which was awesome. awesome. That's sick. Yeah. I mean, we didn't sell 10,000 masks. Right. Um, but in the, you know, between their company and what they were selling and what we were selling as well, like the combined. And so we went and we gave them to different places that were doing mask drives and giving masks to people that couldn't find them, you know? And so, yeah. for, and then for me, that was everything that we do nowadays. I try to caveat it and help other people like do, uh, you know, charitable donations to different things. Like we did this, uh, when the pandemic first started, we decided to do this thing called the lost at home sessions. And it was just us recording in our home studios and then sending tracks around and then getting a guy to mix it. And then we put it out on Bandcamp. And so we were selling the MP3, the single MP3s and they were $5, which is a lot of money for a single. Right. 
we were taking a portion of the proceeds and it went to whatever um, nonprofit we decided to attach to it. So the first one was Music Cares, right, yeah. through the Grammy Committee. The second one we did was For the Nomads, which was that, uh, I don't know if you'd heard about it, but it was Yeah, started, for all the road crews. Yeah, yeah, it was for all the road crews. And so we donated a, a good portion, a chunk of money to that. And uh, the last one we did was called Bread of the Mighty, and they're a food bank in North Florida. So we donated, you know, each time that we donated, it was a couple thousand dollars, you know, and like, we're not, I'm not telling people what we do. And we didn't post it on the internet. Like, here's how much we gave. Like, I just, right. if you're going to do, I live under the, the guise that if you do something, you do it because you want to do it, not because you're looking for the press that goes along with it, you know? Yeah. Um, I post so, the I, amount just because I think some motherfucker's going to come up to me and be like, you guys didn't donate that money. And be like, it's on our Instagram here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, it's like those those people are just shitty human beings. You know right. what I mean? Like, if, if you if that's what you think, then I th again, I think that sounds more like a you problem than a me problem. You know, because I know what I do. I again, charity and being charitable is really important to me. It always has been. You know, and giving back to people when they're down and down down on their luck. You know, it's uh, I'm very lucky in life, you know, and I think that people forget about how lucky they are because they're so busy being miserable because they can't go to a show or go to a football game or, you know, whatever complaint of the moment they may have. You right. Know? And so I, I just try to keep it positive, and, you know, be like, how can we make it better instead of, yeah. Oh, it's so terrible. I'm in a ska band. I'm not an emo band. I don't know what it is to be miserable all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well i appreciate you being on the biz well i appreciate you uh having the biz i really wish that <laughs> there were more biz type shows that really tell people how the biz really is you know yeah i think it's important you know it's important that we can laugh about it and be like look how stupid this industry is but this is the truth <laughs> I mean, it's, you know what the problem is ultimately is like i forget who i was talking to my, my merchandise manager, he's in negotiations with a major label that I will not mention to do, uh, to basically like house and do their merchandise for them, right. which would be like their retro, their retro type stuff. Yeah. And he said to me the other, like I went down to the office and he's like, do any of these people that work for record labels know what they're doing? And I said, no, that's why you don't talk to the same person a year from now that you're talking to currently like because that person won't be there they'll either move to another place move to another job get fired quit like nobody stays in the music industry for longer than 10 years yeah. unless they're making millions of dollars right like right unless you're like a lear cohen or like john janik or you know one of those guys of who's the other what's his name uh jimmy iovine you know right. those kind of people have made a lot of money cutting deals and finding, you know, they have a, a talent thing, you know? Yeah. But most people who make who musicians that have a lot of money didn't make their money on music. They made it on no. other ventures, you know? The, so. I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you real quick. Um, one of my favorite biz moments of my whole entire life. Uh, so it was when Dropkick were on, I think it was like, warner or sony but they had like their own subsidiary like that label was doing like where you were a band that got signed but you had your own subsidiary of 
them. Right. I forget what theirs was called Liberty and something. I don't remember, but the record was like overdue and I was hired for like a week to just drive like mixes to like Ken Casey to like listen to. And then like he'd, he'd, he'd like email notes and then I'd go like get a new mix from like the studio and bring it to him. And they were like, cause we need this now. And then I had to meet the DVD guy to give me the DVD um, of all the footage to bring to the actual office in New York. Right. So I get everything and I, and I'm going to New York and my friend Yosef, who was doing the artwork and lived in Boston at the time was like, Hey, can I come with you? Because I've been trying to talk to them about artwork and no one's getting back to me. So it'd be fucking sick if I can come. I was like, yeah, man, let's go. So we go to New York, we pull up to Manhattan. This place closes at five. I think we got there at like four 15, like after finding parking for like an hour and everything. Right. And we get in there. And the lady's like, oh, great to have you guys. Uh, and I was like, yeah, here's here's everything. And she's like, cool. Is there anyone you want to meet here? And I was like, I'll, I don't know anyone that works here. And, and like, Joseph was like, yeah, can I meet whoever is in charge of like the art department? Because like I've been trying to get a hold and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, come back. So they bring us back to the office. And she was like, this is great, actually, to have you here because we actually just got like the proofs back from what the record's going to look like. And he was like, great. Awesome. I have my thumb drive. I got my files and everything. Like I I'm ready to do this. So they pull on the screen. It's like a green background and just these like silver markings everywhere. And it says dropkick Murphy's and they're like, isn't it great? And Yosef's like, that's, that's not, the full image and they're like what do you mean he goes that's supposed to be an eagle but it was just like it's supposed to be like a like an eagle with like silver foil on top so it was like big but they didn't have the eagle so it was just these weird silver lines that were popping up on this green screen and everyone went there was like yeah isn't isn't it awesome this is what it's gonna be and he was like holy shit he's like thank god you showed up yeah yeah. thank god he got there he hands him the flash drive they fucking open up and like photoshop opens up and they see the eagle and they go oh it's an eagle and we were just like oh my god and we left there we're like he was he was like literally almost like shaking he was like how did these people have these jobs and i was like dude i guarantee you that person is in charge of the art department they're not a musician they didn't go to school for music there's 30 30 to 50 acts that they're working on so you're just one in the pile you know what i mean you're the next one in the pile so you have to demand and you have to like sometimes you have to be a dick and it sucks because I hate being a dick, but I've always said like, I'd rather somebody think that I'm a dick and I get the thing correct than being the nice guy and put out something that looks shitty or sounds shitty. Right. You know, I'd rather, right. I'd rather be that. So I'm going to work more on not being such an asshole. <laughs> so that's my 20, that's... my, my new year's resolution in 2021 try to be a well, better person i guess right. i hope to see you in 2021 not as an asshole <sighs> not gonna make any promises here so <laughs> not gonna make any promises but we'll get we'll see we'll see 
All right, I'm going to hit stop recording, but uh, okay. th thanks Thank for being on here, man. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me on the biz. This is the busiest thing I've ever done. It's great. <laughs> Thank you for checking out this episode of The Biz. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe on wherever you listen and leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can follow The Biz on Instagram at Sal Ellington. You can buy merch at thebizbaby.square.site If you'd like to donate to The Biz on Venmo, it's at Sal Ellington. Thank you for your support. We'll see you next episode.